Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C. Today, I'm going to be talking with former federal prosecutor Michael J. Stern. He's an attorney, uh, not practicing anymore right now, but he's been a litigator, a former federal prosecutor, as I said. So he, I got to pick his brain, and I just want to say he indulged me in some legal questions. So it's a good interview. I think you're going to like it. Uh, but as my patrons know, I was on vacation last week. It was pretty good. I mean, I, you know, I tried to have a relaxing time as much as I possibly could. I I visited my parents and I was, you know, socially distancing in their backyards and all that good stuff in the East Coast humidity. Fun. And oh, here's here's a story. So I go and, you know, let me just say that my mom has been dealing with some issues. She's got to have a hip replacement, which worries me because I know she's in pain. And if she has one during COVID, I freak, whatever. But I want—I don't want her to be in pain. Anyway, so I know she's been going through issues with having some pain. And it's been interfering with her sleep. And obviously, when you're not sleeping well and you're not, you know, feeling good, it can be depressing. And, and I, you know, I, I hate that, that she's going through that right now. So anyway, I go see her on Wednesday and then I go see my dad on Thursday. I come home on Thursday and I'm going, I'm looking at my computer and I see she posted on Facebook that she wrote that she had some kind of burning sensation on her skin, but I misread what she wrote. I, I read that she had a burning sensation in her lungs. She did not write that, but that's what I read and that she was currently at urgent care and I completely lost it. I freaked out. So I call her and she's at urgent care and she's like, Hey, (laughs) all happy. And so anyway, long story short, she was diagnosed with shingles. And although that's really bad, um, it, it hadn't gotten to like, she had had shingles in the past. And when she got them before, she didn't know it was shingles. So it got to where she had blisters. So it didn't escalate to blisters this time. As soon as she felt something weird, she went to the doctor who did say that it was shingles and gave her Valtrex. So she's been taking Valtrex and she's really, there's no issue. She's now not even sure that it's shingles, but she's still taking Valtrex. So that was really not fun (laughs) to, you know, think that for at least, you know, a minute she was in urgent care because her lungs were burning. That really scared the shit out of me. Thankfully it wasn't her lungs and she should be okay. But yeah, we still got to deal with this hip surgery thing and it's not fun. But you know what? I want to say that um, when I was on vacation, she released her newest book called The Melt. And it is a book about a global pandemic that she started writing in December of 2016. And so I'm encouraging, she's going to be on the show. She really wasn't feeling that great. And she, she doesn't feel great during the summer. Um, Anyway, she, she, she wants to be on the show, but she wants to be feeling a little bit better. So anyway, uh, it's on Amazon right now, and I'm going to include the link in the description of Patreon, so check that out. But it, so far, it's got r- three amazing reviews, and I would really appreciate it if you support her by, you know, if, if, if you're into, it's like, it's post-apocalyptic. The story doesn't focus um, on the pandemic as it much as it focuses on life after the pandemic. And in this story, um, most people died from it as opposed to COVID. So they have to kind of rebuild the country, the nation, the world. So that's really the, and she, she draws from a lot of the social issues that we're, you know, going through right now, whether it's race or misogyny or um, bigotry and 
it's just kind of an interesting, you know, I mean, kind of little, it's not a political statement, but it is because people are political. Whether they want to believe they are or not, they are. So um, it's a great book. Again, if you like it, I encourage you to get it from Amazon and give it a good review because authors and podcasters need good reviews. That's what helps them grow. So um, let's see what else, what else, what else. I think that's going to be it. So I'm going to go with the Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast and it's supported by listeners. It's also woman run. Hi, (laughs) I've got no corporate backers and I do not use advertisers. It's patrons that keep the show going. And I always want to take that time to say thank you so much to everybody who supports the show. I appreciate it more than you could ever know. Um, If you like today's show, take a look at the about page and check some of the past guests that I've had on. Most are political. Some are just actors and we talk about their acting career. I used to be an actor, so I have kind of a little bit of insight there. But um, sometimes when I interview an actor, I kind of mix a little politics, a little acting, and they're all fun. So if you like the show, please consider becoming a patron. So like if you sign up for two bucks a month, you get all the shows delivered to your email box. All the free shows just go right to your email box. You don't have to search for them on Twitter or anything like that. Um, And now this month, I'm implementing the new way of doing things, which is I do two patrons-only shows per month. And those shows are a little bit more personal. They're sometimes, I mean, we, we often talk about politics. We always talk about social issues. But, you know, on those, on those patrons-only shows, they're just way more personal. And they, and they can go off and we can go off into tangents about just regular life stuff. So here's the deal. If you are a subscriber for $1 up to $4, you will get one of those shows delivered to your email box. And you'll have access to it. If you are a patron for $5 a month, you'll get both of those shows. You'll have access to both, and they will be delivered to your email box, so you don't have to search for them. Um, So that's the new thing that I'm doing, and I'm not going to do a patrons-only show this week. I will be doing one probably next week, and it will probably be with Steph Walton. And what's great about doing the shows with her is we are really good friends. So when we're talking, it's like you get to be a fly on the wall and listening. And everybody loves Steph because she's so um, she's so emotional in a positive way. Like she gets very excited about things that she's, you know, excited about. <laughs> and she's she's definitely very heartfelt. And I think everybody judging from the comments, which, by the way, thank you for comments. I love comments. Keep them coming on all the shows. Love, love, love. I read all of them. Um, But with Stephanie specifically, I think she brings to the table some like raw emotion that is real and um, she kind of brings it out of me too because even though I'm an extremely emotional person, I don't always show it. So she can kind of bring it out. But she's such a sweetheart. She's running for city council in Oakland, California, and we always have a good time talking. So um, those are the patrons only shows. Now also... Anybody who wants to become a, uh, or like make a one-time donation, you could just visit the um, text of this show. Or you can go to the front page of my, you know, the about section, and I include my email. So you just go to PayPal, and you can make a one-time donation. And then last but not least, Start Me Up is available on all, you know, whether it's uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you can find it anywhere. But I ask that please go to the iTunes app and go to Apple Podcasts and become a subscriber. It's totally free. And while you're there, you can just give me a great review if you like the show. It's always appreciated. Like you don't even know how much I appreciate it. And then also uh, a rating. It's all free. So you could just do it all free. I would really, really, I, I can't emphasize enough how much I would appreciate it because I get trolls occasionally and 
the good reviews help to counter the trolls because the trolls usually just don't like something I say on Twitter and then they'll come on like there's this guy David who called me Dimberly and he said that I how did he say it he said something like I I want to go back to the way it was in 2015 which I've never said I have never said that I want our country to progress always so he he was just a sore troll on Twitter who didn't like something that I said and has nothing better to do than all that I described by going to, you know, iTunes and Apple podcasts. And he gave me a bad review. So please give me good reviews. I would really appreciate it. Okay. That's enough for today. A little longer intro than normal because I was on vacation, had to fill you in. And now please enjoy my conversation with attorney Michael J. Stern. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, you know, I became aware of you initially, and I don't want to go into this too much because I don't want to give it too much attention, but I first became aware of you on Twitter. You had written an article um, doubting the allegations of Tara Reid against Joe Biden, and I thought everything that you wrote made a lot of sense, and I actually saved it. I bookmarked it on Twitter in case somebody wanted to argue with me, but you were very reasonable, and you are a prosecutor and a litigator, so you have um, experience with this. <laughs> so uh, I did, I did. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was a DA, I did uh, sexual assault cases, and mm-hmm. even as a federal prosecutor later, I actually did a child pornography uh, wow. case that was directly connected to sexual assaults. Oh wow! Well, I'm going to talk to you about Jelaine Maxwell in a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, I I really appreciated your take on it because. You know, we talked about it at length on this show that the story that she had, you know, was filled with holes. And so uh, fortunately, we're not hearing anything. The only thing I want to ask, I mean, it seems it seems to have died down. But the only thing I want to ask about that is, do you believe that there is going to be a resurgence of this story during, you know, like the I guess you can call it the general election now, but nobody's nobody's really they haven't made the formal announcements. Right. So is that when it's considered a general election? I mean, do you see this popping up in, in, in um, you know, maybe September or October? You know, I think that Republicans will do what they can do to try and damage Joe Biden. And yeah. one of the things that they can do is, you know, combine the Tara Reid story with mm-hmm. some of the other allegations of him touching people mm-hmm. in a way that they perceived was uncomfortable, although it was those are very different allegations yes. than the sexual assault allegation. And, you know, they can try and dirty up Biden by re-raising this, or they can try and find people who are willing to come forward and say something new, you know, that hadn't been said before that mm-hmm. will distract from Biden's momentum. And so that's always a fear, particularly with, um, you know, particularly with the sort of rabid uh, affect that a lot of Republicans <laughs> are, uh, you know, showing now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I do think that it's a possibility, but considering everything that's going on, I mean, the COVID and the the fact that people don't have jobs and aren't working and the uh, unemployment is so high, I think that's like the number one thing. And, and you know, they're, they're, what did I, I saw somebody um, asking on Twitter the other day, you know, Trump is kind of doubling down on his racism, even though it's not working for him. And I think we're going to see more of that. And I I think the reason he's doing that, I just watched this really fascinating documentary on Netflix. I guess it came out in 2018, but it's called Trump and American Dream. Have you seen that? I have not. No, it's it's worth it's worth a look because it kind of gives you this insight. Not that there's any. So it's not that there's new information per se, but it kind of guides you through him 
um, initially coming up and, you know, getting interviews. I know that one of the first interviews uh, was with Rona Barrett. And it was so fascinating because he was soft-spoken and his demeanor was slightly different than what we're used to. Um, his demeanor changed when he met Roy Cohn, who I guess became his mentor and his lawyer. And he, he was definitely, there was like a visible and, and, and real change that you could see within him. But, um, you know, the idea... Yeah, Roy, Roy Cohn did a very good job of taking all of his bad qualities, of which there were many, and uh, giving them to Donald Trump, yeah. who eagerly accepted them, and, and is now keeping the bad Roy Cohn qualities alive. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, somebody in that documentary was the first, I think it was a four-part documentary, one of the gentlemen talking about, you know, I had dinner, he said, I had dinner with Roy Cohn, and I swear to God, I was like sitting with Satan. And, you know, you just look at the yeah. guy and you can kind of see it. He just uh, there's this energy that comes off of him that's so negative and evil. Um, but, you know, I look at Trump and I feel like his entire life, he's pretty much gotten away with everything. This documentary does showcase, you know, like when he lost Taj Mahal and how he had been in trouble financially. But when he was in trouble financially, all he did was pivot to, you know, the fact that he was a playboy and he got all kinds of press. Of course, I know he sought that press, but he was, you know, changing his image into a playboy. And so he's always been able to kind of narrowly escape any kind of um, comeuppance or punishment. And so I feel like during this general election, this person on Twitter asking, you know, okay, why is he doubling down on his racism? It's not working for him. I think it's because he just doesn't, he's never been held accountable and that's all he knows. And he thinks if he just well, wills it in or something. Well, here's, here's the thing that I have always feared about Donald Trump's racism and the cult that follows him is that a lot of people have a sense that what Donald Trump is saying is wrong mm -hmm. and they don't want to repeat it and they don't want to support it. They know that that's generally not acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's become much more acceptable yeah. since Trump has become president. But in the dark, quiet anonymity of the voting booth, mm -hmm. they can vote their own bigotry. Yes. And they see that bigotry reflected in Donald Trump. And so during the election in 2016, that was always my fear, that yeah. while the polls still favored Hillary Clinton, I knew that there was this, you know, undercurrent of racism mm -hmm. and bigotry and hatred that Trump did a beautiful job, I mean, to the extent that you can say that, tapping into, and that at least at the time, it wasn't socially acceptable for people to express that. Mm -hmm. But my concern was, and it, it, it turned out to be the case, that when they went to the voting booth and no one saw what they were doing and they could do it mm -hmm. anonymously, they voted their hatred. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and so I think that he's kind of looking for that again, although I'm not sure it's going to work for him this time. I certainly hope that it doesn't. I mean, I do also think with the polls, I think that, you know, you, I think the polls were pretty accurate as far as and I still think they're accurate. I know that after the election, everybody was like, oh, the polls were bullshit. But um the polls don't take the cheating into the into account. You know, they're not taking suppression. They're not taking Russian interference and online um, disinformation and all of that. And so, you know, I mean, obviously there's going to be a little bit of uh, give and take with a poll. But I totally agree with you, though, that there are they don't there are people that won't say it out loud because they realize, OK, I can't say it, but I'm going to vote for the guy who is saying it because eventually then I will be able to do it. So I totally agree with that. But you know what? Before we go on, I have the questions that I have lined up for you are 
kind of from a legal standpoint. So I want you to like just tell everybody what your history is as a prosecutor and a litigator. So we can, and some of the case, like you already said that you've, I'm going to so interested in talking to you about Jelaine Maxwell, but you know, what is your history? Sure. So I, I, after law school, I went to law school in Chicago. I then moved back to my hometown in Michigan and I was hired by a prosecutor's office or what's often called a a district attorney's office. Mm -hmm. And for Three years, I ended up um, doing litigation and prosecution of state crimes, so murder, robbery, sexual assault, fraud, drug cases, um, and I tried a lot of cases and did a lot of um, high-profile cases, and the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is the federal prosecutor's office in Detroit, uh, offered me a position, and I went to the U.S. Attorney's Office where I worked as a federal prosecutor for 10 years. I did drug cases, violent crime Mm. cases, fraud, but, you know, mostly violent and organized crime cases. Mm. And then in 99, I decided to move to Los Angeles. And so I was able to get a job at the U.S. Attorney's Office in L.A. as a federal prosecutor. And I did essentially the same thing, uh, violent and organized crime, uh, some child pornography cases, you know, the the full panoply of of the types of cases that are typically done. And I worked um, in total for 25 years as a federal prosecutor. I left in 2013. And four days after I retired from the U.S. Attorney's Office, they called and asked me to come back and try one more case, and I agreed. Um, so ultimately, I left in at the end of 2014, and then I did defense work where I sort of flipped and went to the other side um, and was representing indigent defendants, uh, and I was appointed by the federal courts to represent people who could not afford attorneys on their own but who were charged with crimes. Mm. And and that's essentially my uh my experience as an attorney. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, I just love talking to lawyers and, you know, I mean, I don't, I certainly don't, I can only, you know, surmise things and guess things. So it's great to actually have an attorney. I've talked to a couple of them on the show. I I did talk to um, Glenn Kirshner a lot, not too long ago, and he had some interesting input, but I wanted to ask you specifically, um, this is something that I've been wondering about. So let's just say Trump loses and he should, he better freaking lose. Um, and then he does not resign during the lame duck session so that Pence can pardon him. Um, what do you think is going on right now with federal prosecutors that are legit and not necessarily under the influence of Barr? Like, what are prosecutors doing right now to be ready? And then I also just want to add um, state lawyers because um, or state attorneys, because obviously if he does get pardoned, um, if you know, because there, there's like an idea that he could resign during the lame duck session just so Pence would, you know, pardon him. And um, if that's the case, then he's got all these state charges that could come up. So, what do you think that the prosecutors are doing to prepare for that? So you're right. I mean, the, I mean, the first answer I think is state prosecutions or state crimes. Uh, Pence will not be able to pardon Trump mm-hmm. for. So if between the time Biden is elected, and and you and I both hope that happens, Mm -hmm. and the time that Biden takes office, um, if Pence decides to pardon Trump, he can do that for purposes of federal criminal violations, but he cannot do it for state violations. Mm -hmm. So those state prosecutions won't be affected. But to specifically answer your question, what do I think prosecutors are doing now? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. 
and the reason that I say that is because generally I would tell you that my suspicion is that prosecutors are trying to gather witnesses, mm -hmm. trying to gather documents, putting together potentially draft indictments, um, you know, thinking about the strategy of how they can put together a strong case against Trump, assuming that there's evidence of a crime. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, you know, I don't know what prosecutors' offices have. The problem is that Barr has such influence mm -hmm. over individual U.S. attorneys' offices, right. and so much of what is being done, he's mandated, must come through him, that I don't know how much authority uh, you know, uh, federal prosecutors have within the U.S. attorney's offices to do things like issue subpoenas or create grand juries that would investigate Trump. Now, we know that that was being done by the Southern District of New York, mm -hmm. the U.S. attorney's office in Manhattan, because when Michael Cohen was indicted and, and pled guilty, Trump was listed for all intents and purposes as a co-conspirator mm -hmm. when they named him as individual one. Mm -hmm. So it would be extremely easy for a prosecutor's office in New York to, uh, you know, when, when Trump is out of office and he no longer has the benefit of not being a sitting president, for them to simply pop in the name Donald J. Trump wow. in place of individual number one and have an indictment that would charge him with the same crimes that Michael Cohen pled guilty to. But around the country, you know, it's very difficult to assess how much leverage and how much control um, Barr is exerting mm -hmm. uh, because those state, those, uh, you know, prosecutors that are federal prosecutors in individual states are not going to tell people that it's going to be mm -hmm. very secretive. Oh, sure. You know, I also read on Twitter and this, I don't even know where it was just a comment. So I don't know who said this. That's why I wanted to ask you um, that perhaps certain prosecutors are holding back bits of information in case Barr is shutting things down or interfering um, you know, and I don't, I don't know the legal speak of that, but, but is that a, is that a, uh, scenario that you could see happening with, you know, and I don't even know if it means that they're holding back publicly or that they're just keeping things aside, um, that f if, if somehow Barr comes in and, 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 and is able to shut it down in any kind of permanent way. See, this is obviously my ignorance here. I don't know, but that's why I'm asking you, like, can prosecutors and, and, attorneys hold stuff back in in I, I should say in um anticipation of wrong you know like interference yes they can i mean it, you know so let me sort of play out the scenario to you um you know when you work for a long time in the prosecutor's office you in the u.s attorney's office you typically develop agent relationships where agents that you've worked with before will come back to you over and over again because you work well together mm -hmm. You know, so I had a lot of agents that wanted to work with me after I worked with them the first time, and they would come with me and they would come to me and sit down in my office and say, "Hey, I've got some evidence that's kicking around. I don't think it's enough to indict yet, but I think that you know we might be able to investigate and potentially establish a case that proves X, Y, Z. You know, uh, organized crime or drug trafficking or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then what the federal prosecutor does is. You know, he, he initiates an investigation with the agent and begins telling the agent what he would need, the witnesses he would need, the evidence that should be obtained, subpoenas that should be issued, issued interviews that should take place. And so it is certainly possible 
that an FBI agent or another agent from a different agency could come in and say to a prosecutor, listen, I've got some evidence on Donald Trump or leading to Donald Trump, or I think may pan out to be evidence that would implicate Donald Trump in a crime. What do you want to do? And I could easily see a prosecutor saying, uh, I want to investigate that, but I don't want to investigate it in a formal way that puts Barr on notice that would let him make an effort to try and, uh, you know, change the nature of the investigation or stop us from collecting evidence or foreclose evidence to be collected in the future. Now, you can only go so far in doing that because typically what happens is, you know, the, the agent within his office, within the FBI, for instance, has to initiate an investigation. And then at the U.S. Attorney's Office, we would open a file and initiate an investigation. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's only so much that can be done without formally opening the investigation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it would not surprise me if mm. career prosecutors, you know, had conversations with agents in which they essentially said, uh, you know, in five or six or seven or eight months, if things are different, you know, let's move forward full steam ahead. But until then, let's not start raising the red flags within DOJ because yeah. it could be kiboshed by Bill Barr. Wow. So what if you were one of those prosecutors um, working on these cases right now? As far as Barr is concerned, like, can you give me a feeling of what some of these, you know, patriots, obviously, if they're Trump supporters, maybe they're happy that I, I can't even imagine. I don't know. I don't know um, what it's like to to work as a federal prosecutor. But I mean, um what what would it feel like? I mean, as a prosecutor, how would you feel witnessing what Barr is doing? And, you know, as far as what you have to do as a prosecutor, like, like, take me through the mind of a prosecutor right now who's who, who's a good guy or a good woman and watching this happen. Like, what are you what are you thinking? What are you fearing? How are you feeling about this? Well, I'm scared about taking you through my mind because you would be dodging explosions um, left and right. I mean, if that happened to me, I can I can see doing what I just described for you. I mm-hmm. mean, I can see right. saying to myself, listen, if this becomes too formal too quickly, it could negatively impede the investigation, not just now, but mm-hmm. permanently. Mm-hmm. And I could see saying to myself, you know, I could see actually saying to the agent, let's revisit this. Uh, you know, in a period of time mm-hmm. when DOJ leadership is not the same um, and, and not and not starting an investigation if I seriously feared that Barr could do something to to impact it. But but to the question, you know, how do I feel about Barr and, and what would I feel about Barr if I were a federal prosecutor trying to do my job every day? Um, you know, I've written about that a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. I think what Barr has done is reprehensible. Mm-hmm. He's changed the Department of Justice from what should have and what has for decades been an independent mm-hmm. agency that looks for justice rather than uh, you know, trying to support a presidential party mm-hmm. or president himself. And I think he has essentially become a tool of Donald Trump. I mean, he is no yeah. longer the attorney that is seeking justice on behalf of the United States mm-hmm. at large, but instead he has become, for all intents and purposes, Donald Trump's personal attorney. And this began not just recently, but you know it was very clear when Barr took the 
you know, 400-page Mueller report right. and reduced it to a four-page summary that yeah. was not accurate, but that really absolved Trump in a way that the actual report did not. So, right. you know, I think all of us knew what was coming down the pike once mm -hmm. we saw that happen, but I don't think any of us mm -hmm. could have perceived that it would have gotten this bad, and, and I don't think any of us would have perceived that, for instance, uh, Bill Barr would have gone in and fired uh, you know, with the support of Donald Trump, would have fired the Southern District of New York's yeah. U.S. attorney who was actively investigating uh, people connected to Trump and Trump himself. Wow. God, this is such a nightmare. It's just so scary. Every day, um, I, you know, there's always one point in, during the day where it just kind of hits me. And I think I can't, I mean, you know, add COVID into it, but I can't believe we are living through this. It is so insane. Um, now, let me ask you this. Let me see what you think about this. Okay, because there's a lot of talk about, you know, if Trump loses, what he's going to do. So, you know, there's all there, there's that what I suggested earlier, perhaps he could resign so that Pence could pardon him. Um, there's also the argument that he's going to, you know, do the scorched earth thing and take it to the Supreme Court. So, I mean, what do you like? Let's say he takes it to the Supreme Court. I mean, I guess it would depend on if it is a close race. Um, what do you think if it's a close enough race? And I know I'm asking the impossible, but I'm just curious what you think Roberts would do. Um, you know, if, 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 if Biden wins, but by a more narrow margin, um, how do you think that he would rule? Well, I mean, first you have to figure out what, you know, what the case would be that Trump would take to the Supreme court. So, mm -hmm. okay. you know, you know, the initial question has to be, what could Trump do? I mean, Trump right. could not go to the Supreme Court and just say, <laughs> yeah. it's a close race. I don't want to leave. <laughs> yeah. You know, Melania has redecorated the White House <laughs> and we like it a lot here. Um, so, you know, there'd have to be some type of a legal theory that right. he and his attorneys would have to create. And, you know, there have been some articles about that. And one of the things that's been talked about is the potential that Trump could say, oh, no, you know, states that have allowed um, voting by mail, mm -hmm. uh, you know, have fraud. And I'm declaring a state of emergency because I believe that the vote was not accurately taken or, you know, because COVID somehow affected things mm -hmm. that we can't get an accurate vote. You know, there are a lot of different permutations on what he could do to, you know, to declare a state of emergency or to declare fraud and refuse to leave. And the scenarios that have played out you know, are sort of doomsday scenarios because, you know, what would happen then is ultimately the House may be able to decide who is, you know, who's elected president and mm -hmm. what people don't understand, at least from the reading that I have done, is people don't understand that each state gets an individual vote. It's not it's not each representative that gets to vote where the House has the majority. But if you count up the states that get the, you know, that, that are Republican or are Democratic, mm -hmm. the Republicans would actually be able to, states, to yeah. succeed in the wow, House. Wow, that's scary. Um, yeah, and that is scary. And ultimately, I agree that would probably end up in the Supreme Court. And I don't know what Roberts would do because Roberts is sort of a wild card. Mm -hmm. You know, he has not... You know, he is a conservative. Mm -hmm. He was appointed as a conservative. He's generally acted as a conservative. But on occasion, mm -hmm. he has gone, you know, off the map for the conservatives, most yeah. recently in the last couple of weeks, you know, with an abortion decision in which he uh, supported, um, 
grudgingly, but supported mm-hmm. uh, abortion rights. Mm-hmm. And recently in a decision in which LGBT rights were decided mm-hmm. and in which the Department of Justice was supporting the idea that you could be fired because you were uh, LGBT, and the Supreme Court said no, mm-hmm. that the statute that covers civil rights related to sex discrimination includes LGBT people. Yeah. So it's impossible to know. Well, I mean, like you were saying, there's maybe more red states, but there's more people in the blue states combined. So, But as I understand it, that's not how things would pan out if, if the count, if the right. decision were ultimately thrown to the House. And that's the danger. I mean, you know, that's what we experienced in, you know, in 2016. There yeah. were more people who voted for Hillary Clinton, right. three million more approximately. But look at Donald Trump sitting in the White House for the last three and a half years. Yeah, it's, but I mean, not, don't you think that John Roberts would take that into account? I mean, I know, I, I know, I'm asking a lot of John Roberts here, um, but the fact that he would understand that, um, okay, so yeah, we, we, you would see probably more red states voting um, to keep Trump in, uh, but if there's more people, I mean, do you think that would even matter to Roberts? You know, people have to understand that when the Supreme Court decides something, the analysis is less. Um, is less visceral, less what they feel, less mm-hmm. this isn't fair, right. less that than it is, you know, this is what the law says. Right. And the law says these are the procedures that you go through. And if these are the procedures that are required and we went through the procedures, even if we got a decision that was not consistent with what we sense or believe or feel uh, American democracy should be, that he's still going to follow the law. Mm. Um, and that's that's the problem. I think yeah. people sometimes don't realize that the law on occasion comes up with with results that are not what we think mm-hmm. are the right results or not what we like. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of scary. Um, that's really scary. Uh, and I imagine he would do something like that. Now, let me just ask you your opinion. Do you think how do you think this election is going to go? Like, do you have any kind of. Um, feeling as far as you know who's going to win is do you think biden's going to win do you think i know you want him to win but i mean like for instance i'll just tell you i talk to my mom often she's a political junkie like me and she feels that because of covid specifically um that is what took him over the edge and he is going to lose um i i liked i would like to believe that as far as like you know Kimberly, I like your mom's philosophy. Can I just, <laughs> can I just adopt it whole? I like that whole philosophy. Let's let's go with that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is it's like it's the cheating. I think we just, you know, obviously the people voted for Hillary Clinton, but you know, all the decades of the smears from the GOP and, um, you know, the 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 far left smearing her and so much and and Russian interference and I mean I. And I will not go into it, but I mean, I was a Bernie supporter in 2016 that was affected by that um, misinformation, disinformation. I allowed it to kind of plant seeds of doubt. Eventually, I got over it. But, you know, I mean, there there was so much against her. Uh, but I feel like this time we have a little bit, you know, Biden doesn't have... You know, and I don't blame Hillary for her baggage because the baggage was basically put on her by the Republican Party. And I hate to say that Democrats actually did some of them did pick up on it. And I, and I can say that. No, no, no. Don't don't hate to say that because I'm jumping on that bandwagon right now. And I'm <laughs> going to say, you know, Democrats 
do a very good job of cannibalizing their own. Yeah. And they they really did a number on Hillary Clinton, uh-huh. not because of what factually existed or right. didn't, but because of what, you know, three decades of GOP mm-hmm. smears did. And, you know, a lot of times with Clinton, you've heard things from Democrats like, uh, you know, I just don't trust her. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe yeah. her. And when you try to drill down and say, well, what exactly? Right. You know, I, I know all of these investigations. I know the Whitewater investigation, yeah. but it showed no wrongdoing. I know the Benghazi mm-hmm. investigation, but even Trey Gowdy couldn't yeah. <laughs> drill down and get any wrongdoing. And God knows if anyone can, you know, find a drip of of yeah. impropriety in Democrats. It's Trey Gowdy. <laughs> None of that showed anything. So why is it that you have this residual distrust yeah. of a woman who has been more investigated than any politician that I can think of? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't give you know, a rational intellectual answer, but it affected mm-hmm. them. And it made a lot of people not go to the polls. And it made right. a lot of people you know, vote third party. Mm-hmm. And that swung the election. And yep. that makes me furious yes. to this day. And I mean, just so, you know, I did vote for her. And interestingly, I watched um, and I never hated her. You know, I mean, I just I, I, I really I am a progressive person and I want all the progressive policies, but I understand that it's they're not going to happen overnight, that in order to get them passed, you need to have a Congress that agrees on it. And sometimes and it's about compromise and all that stuff. So I am pragmatic about it. Um, but, you know, I so I as I said, there were seeds of doubt that were planted and part mainly because I were I was in all these Bernie groups and on Facebook. And initially they started off all nice and pro Bernie and, and they weren't anti Hillary. And then they became just these hell pits of, of anti Hillary propaganda everywhere. And so, you know, I remember like one thing that kind of made me question. And I mean, I never went all the way. I never pointed my finger and said, she's doing this. But when she passed out. All of a sudden, it was that 9-11 thing where she passed out, um, and then everybody was saying that she had a body double. Of course, they all have body doubles because, you know, you kind of have to. But they were making it seem as if she were so sick and ill that she had this body double that was doing everything for her. And, wait, uh, wait, wait. What body doubles are you talking about? I, I, I've not heard this body. I've never well, just like heard this. Some, some, sometimes they'll have... Um, uh, you know, from my understanding, like po- politicians or even, you know, movie stars or whatever will have like a body double running to a car to or, you know, so, and, and there's well, also. Yes, I mean, if Sylvester Stallone were doing a stunt in which a car was going to explode, sure, he would have a body double. But I've never heard of a politician having uh, a body double. I mean, well, I, uh, well I the, just have not heard of and, and it's probably then it's probably not even a thing. But I mean, what I've heard, like, for instance, supposedly Melania has body doubles. And I'm not saying it's real. I'm just saying that th- that, you know, when I saw this and I really didn't know any better and I'm looking in there saying, oh, there's this woman that isn't Hillary Clinton, but she's pretending to be like Hillary's sending her out there to, uh, you know, appear like she's walking around doing all these things because Hillary's really, really, really sick and dying, <laughs> you know, and, and so she's got this body double who is pretending to be her when, when the cameras are on. And then they would show, they would put up these photographs of a woman who didn't quite look like Hillary Clinton and, uh, you know, very easily could have been sh- photoshopped. Um, yeah, I think, I think that that whole, you know, conspiracy theory is, the same type of dangerous conspiracy theory that 
led someone with a gun to go to some pizzeria, mm-hmm. you know, because they believed that Hillary Clinton right. was running some exactly. type of a child sex ring in the basement of the pizzeria. You know, there are all these crazy ideas that are out there and they're amplified and shot around the world within a second because social media allows that. And then one person picks up on it and repeats it. And then it becomes assumed that it's true. And I think that we as Democrats and we as Americans should really make an Mm -hmm. effort to say, you know, when we see this stuff on social media, can you direct me to the source? You Mm -hmm. know, what's the evidence of that? Mm -hmm. Because I see that all of the Mm -hmm. time about politics. And I, you know, unless it's something like CNN or MSNBC or the Washington Post or the New York Times or Mm -hmm. USA Today, um, you know, I always ask, you know, where can I find the evidence of this? And often, you know, what you do is you like yesterday, I I was tweeting yesterday, someone tweeted about, um, uh, uh, Maxwell having COVID and, you know, about to go on a ventilator. And that was circulating for a period of time. And I said, where's the evidence of this? And Mm -hmm. someone sent me a paper, um, a newspaper clipping, you know, uh, attached, Mm -hmm. um, that was a satirical paper and it just right. wasn't true. And so, right. you know, things have a tendency to roll into, you know, what people perceive to be the truth, but really it's just a lie that's been compounded many times. So we all need to be careful. Well, and that's kind of my point because I, you know, as I said, I mean, I, I didn't hate her and I wasn't one of these rabid anti-Hillary people. I was, a, you know, at the time, which I no longer am, but a pro Bernie person, Bernie person. And so um, when I would when I saw this story come up about her supposed body doubles, it, it, I didn't say, oh, she has a body double, but it, it put these seeds of doubt in my head to not trust her. So this goes back to what you were saying. I just don't trust her. Now, that's not the answer I would have given, per se. Uh, if, if, you know, my, my whole thing was that I didn't hate Hillary, that I just preferred the progressive vision that Bernie had. So then mm-hmm. when Bernie didn't win the nomination, there was, uh, uh, I think it was PBS special came out that basically just, you know, talked about what kind of do- person Donald was in his life and Hillary in her life. And so... You know, I I had I was always a fan of Hillary Clinton. It wasn't like I was in love with her and thought she was the greatest thing ever, but I liked her. And um, you know, then I had some doubts during the election. I and, and I always admit this because I feel like too many Democrats were fooled, and they don't want to admit it because they they think that you know it makes them seem stupid. And it's like misinformation, disinformation, propaganda. Um, you don't ha- you don't have to be stupid to fall for it. All you need all they all that person needs to do who's putting that out there is put that fucking seed of doubt. And sorry, I, I didn't even discuss profanity with you, but I'm profane. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm good with profanity. <laughs> Feel free. Um, uh, put that seed of doubt in your head, and that was just enough for me. And you know, I mean, I I voted for her. Uh, I was extremely excited to vote for her because by the time you know, the general election came, I, I kind of realized I had been suckered into something. And um, I thought, okay, no, I, you know, she's, she's a really wonderful, she'll make a wonderful president. And I thought she would be the president. So it just, it was just, I don't even remember why I got talking about this, but, um, oh, I know. Well, the other thing that I wanted to say is like for another thing that the, um, the Republicans do, and they did this with Hillary, but they do it with the term feminist. And it's like, I'm a feminist, and all that means is equality, period, social and um, legal equality of the sexes. Well, they also do it with the term liberal. I mean, you know, they turn liberal into a dirty word. And typically, you know, for me, liberal means 
people are treated equally mm-hmm. based on the substance of who they are and not the color of their skin and not yeah. their sexual orientation and not their, you know, uh, religion. And, you know, people are treated more importantly and are considered to be of greater value than companies mm-hmm. and the money that companies yeah. represent. And so, you know, they've co-opted the term liberal to be some type of dirty word, and it shouldn't yeah. be. But Republicans, you know, have sort of an outrage machine that is exceptional. I've never seen anything quite like it. And the problem is that it doesn't only rile up the Republican base, but the Republican outrage machine is very good at, at, at bringing in some of the Democrats who seem to fall for some of the things that are just factually not true and some of the things that are just viscerally appealing to them, but when you think mm-hmm. about them, really don't stand up right. to substantial scrutiny. And and that's a problem for Democrats. We need to stop that. Yeah, I know. And it's just, it's so difficult because we ha- we do have this big tent. And, you know, one of the things, and this is just kind of, I didn't have this written down to talk to you about, but one of the things that concerns me is the Lincoln Project. Now, for instance, I'm happy to share any videos that they make, and I'd love to, I'd love them to make one about Epstein. Um, I'm happy to share those videos because at this point in the game, we are literally fighting a war for democracy. And, you know, I feel like we can go back to our corners once we save democracy, our ideological corners and argue and everything. Although Democrats do need to take on, I I, I would like for them to learn from um, some of the strategies implemented by uh, Project Lincoln. But I think also Project Lincoln has a specific special kind of impact because it's coming from former Republicans or conservatives and that holds a more powerful punch than if it comes from a Democrat. But Democrats really do need to learn how to fight, not to the, to the level of Republicans. We can't sink to their level, but I I think. Uh, Let me, let me, let me stop you here. because That's where I'm going to disagree. Okay. I don't like the idea that we need to sink to their level. And I love the Michelle Obama mean, you know, when they go low, we go high. But what that has done is it has left Democrats eating Republican dust (laughs) for the last election cycle. And the reality is that we can't do that anymore if we want American democracy, as we understand it, to continue to exist. And so while I don't support, you know, outright lies, Mm -hmm. I support using every one of the legal and, you know, ethically sound, uh, you know, aggressive activities that we can use in order to make sure the Democrats get elected. And so this is why I was so upset when Elizabeth Warren, during one of the early debates, went on, you know, TV and, and, you know, went after Pete Buttigieg for holding a fundraiser mm-hmm. in a wine cave. Yeah. Um, you know, when when money is taken out across the board mm-hmm. of political activity, when the playing fields are equal and Donald Trump isn't getting right. hundreds of millions of dollars from Sheldon Adelson or from, you know, hotel owners in Las Vegas who want to make sure that their interests are taken care of. When that is gone, then I am good with taking money out of politics. Oh, and I agree with you. I agree with you. That isn't the way things are. And we need to deal as Democrats with the field as we've been given. And so if Pete Buttigieg can go to a wine cave and get people to donate to his campaign, two thumbs up from me. Yeah, no, oh, I'm with you. And But what you said specifically was that what's legal and and i mean i guess the republicans are you but they're lying and and they they fight in a dirty way um 
I don't think we should fight dirty, but I think that I think we need to be tough. And the other thing that I think we could do that we're not doing as Democrats, which is the party and then sub, you know, the actual party and then and then the, the fundraisers and the DNC and all of that. Um, I really wish they would take on uh, some kind of like ongoing campaign that educates the public, because I've said this also a million times that in my education, I went to Southern California schools and I did not learn about civics. I did not realize that this that the president nominates Supreme Court justices and that the Senate votes on them. And then I didn't realize the power of Supreme Court justices. I mean, I understood it in a vague way as a child or as a teenager, but it wasn't something that I could have talked about with any kind of real understanding. And so if at that young age I was taught oh, you know, these people decide the fates of, so, you know, of our lives and uh, whether it's women's rights or LGBT rights or whatever, I know that I would have been a little bit more engaged when I was a young person and, you know, made more of an effort to vote. And so the other thing is um, I wish that like in 20, what is it, 2014, Democrats did not want to defend Barack Obama again because of the way Republicans were behaving and, and they were afraid in red states to praise him because they didn't want to offend I don't know who uh, you know I think one of the best examples was and I hope I say her name right Alison Lunder, Lunderson I don't know Lunder something Grimes she was um, going up against Mitch McConnell and she, she wasn't talking about the ACA and a lot of people at that point were really happy with Obamacare and the ACA but the Democrats weren't telling everybody how successful it was and I wish you know aside from you know not fighting dirty but like really fighting aggressively I think we need to do that but I also think we need to encourage um, you know voting there's there are elections every year and I just didn't even learn that until I was an adult you know, so it's like, I yeah, wish I, I could say I learned that in school, I agree but I with didn't. You. I think people, listen, Republicans knew exactly what they were doing when they were voting for Trump. In fact, many Republicans held their nose past the stink of the racism and narcissism yes. and self-serving nature of Donald Trump because they knew they were going to get Supreme Court justices yeah. that if, if, if they stood a chance of undoing Roe versus Wade and a lot of the other things that the Supreme Court had done in decades up to that time, they knew that it was going to be by way of getting a Republican president mm -hmm. and keeping a Republican Senate in order to get Supreme Court justices who make decisions on the most important aspects mm -hmm. of our lives. And, you know, they held their nose and they voted for Trump and they got exactly what they wanted. Yeah. And I agree with you. Democrats don't seem to understand that. And so or some Democrats don't understand right. it. I understand that a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people understand it. But there are enough Democrats who are, you know, who are screaming, you know, Bernie Sanders, write in Bernie Sanders' name, or don't vote for, mm -hmm. you know, don't vote for Biden because he's not sufficiently progressive, mm -hmm. who have not made the analysis that they are going to be worse off, mm -hmm. and everyone from their perception too will be worse off if Trump is allowed to allowed to appoint the next Supreme Court right. justice. Because yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, to be frank, is either going to retire or die. Yeah. And once that happens, if a conservative gets on the court and, and Trump will obviously support and appoint a conservative, mm -hmm. life in America is mm -hmm. going to be very, very different for a lot of us. Yes. And not in a good way. No, it's going to be awful. And that's just something that I can't even begin to entertain in my mind because it's so freaking scary. Um, but now I just want to go off in a different direction. I want to ask you about Jelaine Maxwell. So first of all, 
Now, there's all of the speculation that, you know, she's going to wind up dead and it's going to be a suicide. What do you think is going to happen um, specifically as far as do you think there's going to be some kind of freak accident where she dies? Or do you think that uh, how do you see this playing out? Listen, I am less inclined because I worked in the system. I know how, you know, the federal uh, system works. I know how uh, detention works prior to trial. Um, I am less inclined to jump on the bandwagon where, you know, in which people think that Barr is going to have her knocked off or Mm -hmm. some Republican is going to, you know, pay off someone at the, you know, at the local jails and housing her prior to trial and something bad is going to happen. But to be fair, I was also pretty shocked that Epstein (laughs) committed suicide, um, given what I would have expected would be essentially round the clock Mm -hmm. viewing of him, particularly uh, you know, since the evidence was against him was so strong yeah. and new evidence had just come out shortly before he uh, killed himself. You know, my expectation was that they wouldn't have let that happen, but it did happen. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't have any belief that Maxwell is going to, you know, meet an untimely death. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I also never had any belief that Bill Barr would yeah. hire a U.S. attorney in the Southern right. District of New York who is actively investigating the president of the United States and his cronies. You know, so all sorts of things are happening that I never expected or believed could happen mm-hmm. and and you know so take with a grain of salt my my comfort in, in her <laughs> yeah. actually getting to trial so the daily beast did an article and here was the uh, lead on on twitter it says a friend of accused tra- uh, sex trafficker Maxwell says incarcer- incarceration and the threat of prosecution may lead her to give damning evidence to the american authorities about prince andrew's involvement with Jeffrey Epstein. So then um, Yashar Ali said that she is worth tens of millions of dollars and has three passports. Unless the government finds a way to seize her fortune, she has enough money to live in solitude comfortably for the rest of her life. She can go off to a country where she'll be largely left alone. And then he adds, if she gives in info in her proffer sessions that that the feds find valuable, and as a result, they recommend a lighter sentence to a judge. I just have a hard time believing that she wouldn't take that deal in a second, especially since Epstein is now gone and can't exact revenge. Do you agree with that? There are a lot of there's a lot to unpack. So I can't <laughs> I can't just give you a yay or an a. Okay. Um, you know, I, I do think that federal authorities will be interested in what she's got to say. But I think it's speculation for anyone to say how much she knows Mm -hmm. and whether or not she knows things that would be of interest currently. Because, you know, I did this all the time as a federal prosecutor. I charged people. I had them arrested. I, you know, uh, was preparing to go to trial. And then I would go to their attorney or their attorney would come to me and say, listen, my client has a lot of information about people who you may be able to charge. Are you interested in cutting a deal? And So what you do, the process is... You bring the person in with an agent. They come in with their attorney. Um, They're typically given uh, an immunity letter that limits what you can do with what they say, Mm -hmm. and they give you what's called a proffer. And then you assess whether or not, you know, what they've got is of value to you and whether or not you want to give them a deal that reduces, that has them plead guilty to a reduced sentence Mm -hmm. recommendation. Now, my guess is that that will probably happen with Maxwell. That Mm -hmm. seems the type of thing that I would expect that we would see. But remember... Her giving information about the primary person that she has information on, Jeffrey Epstein, Mm -hmm. doesn't do much good because he's dead. If he were still pending trial, there'd be some value there. 
Now, it is reasonable to believe that, you know, given the circles that Epstein was traveling in, and you mentioned Prince Andrew, mm -hmm. that there's probably a lot behind the vault of her mind mm -hmm. that she could open up that federal prosecutors would be interested in. So it would not surprise me. In fact, I would actually probably expect that there's going to be at least a negotiation back and forth. Now, what the prosecutors offer and what she's got to offer and whether or not the two of them will come to some deal, um, you know, is unknown. Mm -hmm. But my my guess is that there will certainly be negotiation and right. it would not surprise me at all. In fact, I think it's probably more probable than not that there's going to be some type of a deal in exchange for cooperation. And so now if she names people and she names Prince Andrew and says Prince Andrew did A, B, C, and D and gives a detailed description of that. Um, what mm -hmm. is the, what are the legal ramifications for him with her? If there's no proof. Well, see, that's the problem. That's what people say. There is proof. If a witness says, I saw Prince Andrew at okay. the Jeffrey Epstein compound, and I arranged for him to have sex with a 16 or a 14 or a 15-year-old girl, that's proof. Mm -hmm. That's eyewitness testimony. Okay. It, it would be like if someone went in to rob a bank. They didn't leave any fingerprints behind, but you've got the teller who says, mm -hmm. see that guy right there? Mm -hmm. I recognize him. He's the one who robbed the bank. So... Maxwell's testimony would be proof. proof. And if okay. she were credible and believable, it would be enough proof to convict Prince Andrew, assuming wow. that, you know, that there was a, a charge that they could create based on the evidence that she provided. But let me say this before I leave that. Her giving a statement to authorities, to the FBI or to any other investigative agency, is not enough. Okay. She has to actually testify in court. Wow. Because the statement that she gives only lets the prosecutors know what testimony she can provide in court. It's considered hearsay. So mm -hmm. the defendant, in this case you're talking about Prince Andrew, has a constitutional right to cross-examine witnesses mm -hmm. who provide evidence against him. So you cannot, for instance, put up uh, an FBI agent to say, Maxwell sat down in an interview with me and she told me that Prince Andrew did X, Y, Z, convict him based on that. Right. Maxwell has to take the stand and testify to what it is she has to offer, and then be subject to cross-examination. That's constitutionally the only way that it would work. So the idea that people have that she's going to give an interview, the government is going to be happy with it, give her a deal, and she's going to go off to you know, Dubai or mm -hmm. Qatar or France and live her life comfortably without having to testify is just not the way it works. Hmm, interesting, yeah. God, now, I love talking now, to you. Now, what can happen is, <laughs> You know, the reports, and this often happens, is you sort of create a domino as a federal prosecutor. So if she gives information that implicates Prince Andrew, and let's say it's completely credible because it's mm -hmm. supported by other things, or mm -hmm. she's exceptionally credible, and the prosecutors charge Prince Andrew and go to him and say, hey, Maxwell's going to be testifying against you, mm -hmm. it is certainly possible that he could assess that that evidence is going to result in him being convicted and he could plead guilty and cut a deal himself and she would never have to testify. Wow. But if he wants to go to trial, she has to have her body in the witness huh. chair and subject to cross-examination. Wow. Okay, so now I want to ask you this question. This is the last thing I'm going to ask you. You don't have to agree with me or anything because I've, I've had this question in my head, but I want to ask you about it and just get your take whether you even agree with me or not. Um, okay, so 
I feel like perhaps some of the information, some of the blackmail material Putin has on Trump might be connected to Epstein. And so, you know, there was this one woman who I guess she she worked with Epstein and said that Trump raped her when she was 13. Uh, and I guess she withdrew that um, allegation prior. She had, she was talking about it on camera. Her face was fuzzy. She was wearing a wig and she described all kinds of situations that happened. Um, and that, but she didn't say the one thing that I'm going to bring up in a second. But anyway, um, the idea is if let's say Epstein, like the way what I've heard, part of the way he's got this money. I I, I read another thing, I think from Sarah Kenzior that that a lot of the money that he has comes from her, her father. But outside of that, um, some of the money that has not been accounted for came from the idea that he would hold, have these parties and he would invite these wealthy men over and then, you know, a, a young girl would go up to these men and convince them to go in the other room and then they would, you know, do the thing and it would be recorded. And that, you know, they, the, the men didn't know this and so that Epstein would call the, these rich, wealthy guys the next day and say, I've got, I've got this blackmail material on you and now I want money. So providing... That's true, and I'm not so, saying it so is. Let me, and I've, I've heard essentially this, but what you're saying is that Epstein would arrange sex parties with young girls, record the sexual acts with the girls and the men, and then blackmail the men. Yes, alone. yes. Okay, got it. So, um, I mean, and I, I'm not saying that's true. It's just, it's, it's, the, it's the rumors that I've heard, and I don't know. So, then you take into account that these parties happened sometime in the 90s, and Russia has been targeting Donald Trump since at the very late 80s. And they obviously wanted to get dirt on him so that they can own him. And he was working with them um, because Americans, American banks would no longer uh, lend money to him. And, and there's, you know, Eric Trump on camera saying, oh, Russia, we've got plenty of money from Russia. We can work with Russia's money. So, um, you know, and just throwing in there that when I was 12 years old, I lived in Soviet Russia for nine months my father was an ABC News cameraman, so although I, you know, I, I only had that experience of a 12-year-old who lived in Russia, I lived in Soviet Russia, so I kind of understand the the cruelty, and it's, it was very much like a police. It was a police state, and it felt like you were in a prison. So I, I have that understanding of the Soviet mindset, and so I feel like it's very easy for me to believe that they would target somebody like Trump, um, and and I feel like perhaps. Uh, there's some kind of connection with Epstein and tapes of Donald Trump. So if that were the case, um, and, and do you think, A, Maxwell would even say anything? Because, I mean, he could be so scary because, you know, he's, he may be an idiot and a useful idiot, but he's a mobster, and, you know, going up against him would be quite frightening. Do you think? Wait, who is he? Who Donald Trump? Talking about Trump. Trump. Okay. So ahead. I'm I'm saying providing my conspiracy theory is true, and let's just say there are tapes of Donald Trump with underage girls, um, and maybe the Russians have paid or the Russians paid Epstein for some of those tapes, so they've got those tapes, so, and and say Maxwell knows about these tapes or at least knows that he did it. What do you think if that if that were true? What do you think the chances of her testifying to something like that? Do you think she would maybe testify to somebody like Prince Andrew, but not Donald Trump? Or do you think she would throw Trump under the bus? 
So there are a lot of provisos in his conspiracy theory. Of course there are. I'm sort of chuckling (laughs) only only partially because, as I said, things that I never thought could be true or never expected to be true have, in fact, turned out to be true. But I think it is – I think at this point it is just wild speculation Mm -hmm. that Epstein was arranging for young girls to have sex with men and recording them. And then the Russians bought those tapes because one of the people was Donald Trump. And that's what they're using to uh, blackmail Donald Trump. If that were the case, I just want to say it would be one thing. I think they have plenty of things on Donald Trump, but that might be one thing they have. And so I, I, you know, it is impossible. What I don't want to do is I don't want to make it appear as though I'm putting a stamp of approval on that theory. Right. I know. Um, And I'm not asking you to. No. Because I haven't seen any actual evidence of it, although I have seen, you know, the Twitter scuttlebutt, you know, about the essence of what you're saying. So there is no proof of that, to the best of my knowledge. So I'm not going to talk about that specific scenario in particular because – I don't want it to make it sound like I accept that as the premise. Okay. Um, in general, I will say that it has struck me and a lot of people who, you know, analyze things that Russian authorities and Putin may in fact have something on Donald Trump that would compromise him, that mm-hmm. would explain the obsequious, sniveling mm-hmm. psychophant that he has turned into when he has any connection to Russia or Putin. I mean, the most recent of which is, you know, the revelation that he learned, you know, early on, months mm-hmm. and months ago, that Russia was placing a bounty on the head of American soldiers yeah. and, and you know, paying the Taliban to kill American soldiers. And we don't have any type of implemented sanctions mm-hmm. or outrage condemning Putin or evidence of a telephone call confronting Putin. Right. Um, so I'm with you on the idea that Russia has some control over Donald Trump, or at least appears to have some control over Donald Trump, because that's the only reasonable explanation. Right. And while I don't know whether or not the theory that you've described is true, and my and my fallback is, where's the evidence? I haven't seen it. Right. My, my sense of people who are cooperating, um, like Maxwell, is that that there is always this balance that they have to experience between wanting to get the best deal possible and not wanting to endanger themselves. Mm-hmm. I saw it in virtually every organized crime or, you know, international drug conspiracy case that I handled, you know, the cooperator wanted a great deal, but they didn't want to give up people who could hurt them mm-hmm. or hurt their family. Mm-hmm. And so how that balance is going to play out, I don't know. But in my experience, people, after they sit in custody for a period of time, want to get themselves the best deal. And the mm-hmm. best deal is giving up all the information mm-hmm. that you've got or mm-hmm. that the witness has. And in this case, if there is evidence against Donald Trump mm-hmm. showing that he is involved in some type of criminal activity and Maxwell has evidence of that, you know, that would certainly be the card that would lead, right. yeah. you know, if played, that would be the card that would lead to the best deal for her. And she is not the type of person, given her wealth and background, who is going to enjoy spending <laughs> a lot of time 
in prison. And my guess is she probably perceives herself as not looking good in an orange jumpsuit. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I would expect that if she's got that card to play, okay. at some point in time it will probably be played because that's going to give her wow. the least amount of time in custody, assuming that it's it's a card that – you know, is accurate mm-hmm. and could provide evidence against the president. Wow. And so, yeah, I want to say that this is definitely a conspiracy theory that I have come up with. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not alone, but um, I, I'm certainly not asking you to buy into it. But I am grateful that you gave me that answer because it does kind of um, shine a light on the questions that I've had. And so, I mean, I don't know if that's true. Obviously, I wouldn't be surprised, though, to find out that it's true, especially I don't know if you've seen this particular video of this woman on camera talking about when she was 13. She did not say in the video that um, that there was like a secret recording and that she took Trump into her. She never said that. But she, you know, she talked about other things and she described the situation she was in. And she, uh, you know, saying that basically he raped her because she was 13 years old. So um, but then I guess she withdrew that allegation because she was getting death threats and she was fearing for her life. So, um, you know, this was happening during the time of the whole Epstein thing. And so because of that, it made me think, you know, it's like, well, what if this were to happen? What if this happened? So. I'm not putting out that allegation and saying it's absolute. I'm just kind of thinking, I, I think that Putin has a variety of things on him. It's not just one thing. I think that he's probably got financial information that's devastating. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, sure- I'm with you on that. I think yeah. that, that is, is likely true, you know, again, based on the way that Trump reacts to Putin right. and how inconsistent it is with how we would expect an American president to act. And the fact that, you know, Donald Trump Jr. has acknowledged <laughs> that, you know, it was Russia that yeah. Trump went to in order to get money when no one else would loan him money. So, listen, I am I am with you, and I think it is perfectly reasonable to accept the notion that Russia has some power over Trump, yeah. be it financial or blackmail for some other reason. Um that does not seem to be unreasonable to me. Exactly what it is, I don't know. Right. But my, my belief is that as a general rule, if a person who does not want to be in prison, which is most people, <laughs> have a card to play mm-hmm. that's going to help them get out of prison wow. quickly, yeah. they generally, in the end, after resistance at the yeah. beginning, in the end, they generally play their card. That's so fascinating. I mean, because I'm definitely, I'm leaning toward this being, you know, a, a, a real possibility. Um, but th- but that doesn't mean that it is. It's just that, you know, like I said, I lived in Russia. I understand to a degree that Soviet mindset. I understand what it's like to walk down the street and every corner there is this like, it looks like a phone booth with this militia man glaring at you with his beady Russian eyes, letting you know that if you step out of line, you're going to be in Siberia in, in a prison cell. And so I understood yeah. that. And so there, there is a certain kind of um, cruelty that comes with that Soviet mindset. And so you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't allow my you know, it's not that I live my life with conspiracy theories, but I'm an act. I used to be an actor and I'm an imaginative, creative person. So I like to, you know, wonder, could it be this and could it be that? In fact, I was, you know, very curious about Melania um, for a while. And I wondered about the same thing. Like, could she perhaps be somebody who was connected with Epstein? Because there's a lot of holes in the story of her being a model. And I wondered if if somehow, you know, maybe Trump 
if there was some kind of trafficking involved with Melania. Although most recently there was a Washington Post article, and I, I can't even remember the details. It was, I think it was a book or something. It was talking about Melania and how she's very much like Trump. And it actually cast doubt on my original theory. People don't like my theory of possible human trafficking with her because they do not like her and they hate her and she's a birther and everything. And it's like, but the thing that I see about Trump is that he's a mobster. And it was funny because briefly I used to be a salesperson and I met this guy who was a like real mobster and he freaked me out. But, um, and I won't go into who it is cause I never wanted to get back. But, um, I was, I was selling to, uh, I was like selling oil and fuel and specifically I was working with like construction and stuff like that. So this guy was in construction and it became very clear that he was a mobster. And he fortunately at the time when I worked for this company, they gave me my own cell phone. So he didn't have my personal cell phone number, but he was obsessively calling me after I had gone to his office. And I was talking to a friend who said that she had a friend who, um, I guess, you know, got involved with a mobster. And she's like, you know, when you're a woman, and you get involved with a mobster and then you kind of know what the deal is with them. You never can leave. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's it. You don't get to leave. And, and I, and, you know, I think about, I don't know if you watch the Sopranos, but like Adrian on the Sopranos, what happened to her? So it's like, I, I always wondered about Melania and, and, and this article that came out not too long ago talking about the kind of person she is and how she's very much like Trump and this and that. It kind of cast well, doubt I think on my that theory. The, I think the article, and I think you're right, it wasn't the Washington Post, but it was sort of everywhere, was that, that she recently renegotiated right. the prenup. Right. Yes. 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 Uh, yeah. To get a better, uh, to get a pre better prenup deal in case they divorce. And yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, to the extent that you're saying that, you know, there's some calculation yeah. going on, I agree with you. And to the extent that you're saying, with respect to Russia and Putin, that there is no that there is no level too low right. for Vladimir Putin on behalf of you know Russia to go in order to gain leverage over people that can help him personally uh, or his, mm -hmm. you know, or his country. His, yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, there's, there's little that would surprise me about Putin, particularly given that, you know, he has, he and, and Russia have been, um, you know, held accountable by the United Kingdom mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, trying to poison people yeah. uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, you know, that they wanted to punish. So, right. yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, you know, talking to you is so eye-opening, and, and I appreciate it, and, and I want to definitely reiterate that I don't accept uh, or expect you to take some of these conspiracy theories that I've thrown at you and, and put a st stamp of approval on, but I did want to just, you know, if this were to be the case, and you did answer it, and I'm, I'm grateful for that because I, you know, I do not expect you to take that on. And I don't know that it's true. It's just, you know, it's just, you know, we're, we're living in this time, as you said, that things are, you know, things you never thought would happen in a million years are happening every day. And so it's like we're kind of at this place where we have to just say, okay, almost anything can go right now. You want to be careful of not getting too far into the conspiracies. And I mean, I'm pretty good at not getting too far, but I can sure come up with some and think, hmm, could it be this and could it be that? And, you know, but you I mean? know, again, I'm going to go back to, yeah, anything can go. I agree right. with you. And, and some things have gone that should never have gone or I never expected to go. Yeah. But I think it's important for all of us to say, you know, wh where's the evidence of that? You know, yes, show have me, to be rooted in reality. Show me the yeah. article from a legitimate source that describes where that came from. Because otherwise what happens is these things just sort of 
you know, roll on top mm-hmm. of one another and compound. And it's the same type of thing that, you know, led people to believe that Hillary Clinton was at death's door yeah. and really couldn't be president. And, you know, that wasn't true. And right. those are the dangers that we don't want to affect, you know, the election in, in a couple of months. Yes. And then, like you said, that the site that somebody had uh, offered up to you was a parody site. I also just want to throw in there that, you know, there are a lot of websites out there that no one's ever heard of. And, you know, yesterday I was uh, somebody had posted something and it had absolutely no source links in the article. And I, you know, I I, I looked up the uh, whatever that article was asserting and it was bullshit. And I found, you know, a, a legitimate source proving that it was bullshit. But sometimes, mm-hmm. when, you know, if, if you ask for a source, if you're out there asking for a source and somebody just throws at you some blog that you've never even heard of that has absolutely no source links in it, that's not good enough. It's like got to be what you were talking about from from uh, whether it's the New York Times or Washington Post or, you know, there's, you know if you've got the local pa- papers like Houston or, Chronicle or, or something like that. I do a lot of writing for USA Today. I right. Or USA Today. Oh, I, USA I trust, Today. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's got to be it's got to be one of the ones that are known. I mean, you can like, you know, you can take like the Houston Chronicle or, you know, Tampa Bay Times or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that you know Miami that it's Herald. real. Yeah. So it, you, you don't want to just go on somebody's made up blog, you know, like. And that's not to say that a, a small blog is going to have misinformation or, or, or the wrong information you know that they have the right information when they have source links taking you back to places like USA Today or the New York Times. So I just wanted to throw that in there because I see a lot of people falling for, oh, here's my proof. And then it's just this bogus blog post that some, you know, some nobody wrote and they're just, you know, saying what you want to hear. So just want to throw that in there. But again, I do want to thank you um, for coming on the show. And I hope that you'll come back maybe a little bit before the election, because I'm sure I'll have more questions that I like. I like to like probe the legal minds. <laughs> that would be, be my, I enjoyed myself and it will be my pleasure to come back. Awesome. Well, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? So, you know, I'm trying to do as little legal work as I can, and I'm not taking on any new cases now, but I do, um, I've been really fortunate in in writing for different newspapers, you know, so USA Today, the Chicago Tribune, Slate, The Hill. Um, and so if you want to find me and my latest article, you can go on Twitter, um, which an editor or two convinced me to join. And uh, I can be found at uh, at Michael J. Stern 1. So at M-I-C-H-A-E-L, the letter J, Stern the number one, and, um, you know, I'm happy to respond to people who contact me on there that, you know, have something interesting and substantive to say. Yeah, well, you're a good follow, and I encourage everyone to follow you. I'm also going to put the link to your Twitter account into the text of the Patreon description of the show, so it'll be easily uh, e- easy to find, I should say. And yeah, you're, you're, you, you, I like you because you are grounded in reality and everything that I've seen come out of your Twitter feed, what you've written, I agree with 100%. And I appreciate, again, your pragmat- you, that you're pragmatic and that you're thoughtful about what you say. So, so thank you for that and thank you for being a guest. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Oh, my first guest after my vacation. He was fun. I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to talk with him. Um, That was, I'm really, I mean, again, I just want to reiterate, this is my theory about Maxwell, but let's just say it's true for argument's sake, 
oh my God, can you imagine? Can you imagine the explosion if she were to name Trump in this? I mean, I really, honestly, it, it seems very difficult for me to imagine we would get that kind of bombshell. Um, and, I, and I can't even say that I hope for it because the fact is it, that is such an awful thing, but it happened. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it happened with Trump, but I'm just, you know, with Epstein, girls were raped and they were, they were trafficked and they were treated horribly. And I would like for some justice to be served up to these men who, and women who facilitated this behavior. I, and so if, if Trump was involved somehow, I would very much love to see him named and him, I mean, he would, he would lose his freaking mind if that happened. But I was really glad that Michael weighed in on that. And, and I, I'm also glad that he was very specific about the fact that, you know, he's not going to put a stamp of approval on it. Of course, he's a lawyer. He would, he, he, he's not going to do that. And I didn't expect him to, but I'm grateful that he played along with my theory. And, you know, what if this, you know, happens, how, what are the chances of her going with that? So, you know, I'm, I'm glad he played along. But other than that, I think I'm just going to wrap it up. As I said in the intro, I'm kind of not feeling great. So uh, not sure what's going on with me there. Hopefully it'll just get better. So don't forget you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And you can find my books on my Amazon page, which is Kimberly A. Johnson. And that's it. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to be interviewing a, a gentleman who just wrote a book and it's a political book. I'm not even going to get into it right now because I have that whole, like, if I tell you who's going to be on the show, they call me and they go, I can't make it. So I'm just going to, you'll see. On Wednesday, it's going to be the author of a political book, but it's going to be a conversation that's timely and that everyone will like because this guy is, like, all about politics. So anyway, thanks for listening, and we will see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.